Chapter One of Basil or Honesty and Industry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Harder. Basil or Honesty and Industry by C. G. O'Brien. Chapter One A Miserable Home. It was a lovely morning in autumn when two gentlemen rode across a pleasant village green. A flock of geese were marching along on their return from a visit to a neighboring stubble field, whilst on another part of the green a party of boys were playing at bat and ball. The gentlemen stopped at a gate leading to a large farm which had recently been sold, although the house was still uninhabited. "'It is very unlikely we shall find anyone up at the house to look after our horses,' said one of the gentlemen, "'and I think it would be better to secure the services of one of those lads yonder.' The elder of the two gentlemen dismounted as he spoke, and called out to the group of bat and ball players, "'Here, one of you lads, just hold these horses for a while.' A very poorly clad but intelligent-looking boy was the first to answer the summons. His ragged garments hung loosely upon him, and he had that prematurely old look about his face which want and privation never fail to produce. "'I'll hold them for you, please, sir.' "'That's a good boy, and walk them quietly up and down, for they are rather warm.' The two gentlemen entered the farm, and Basil, for that was the boy's name, did as he was bid, walking the horses up and down on the smooth green turf. He was fond of animals, and seemed quite proud of his charge, as he stopped every now and then to stroke and pat their glossy necks. "'What a fine thing it must be to have a horse of one's own,' thought he. "'I'd rather have a horse than be a king, that I would.' And he stooped down to gather a bunch of sweet clover, which he divided between the two animals. It was nearly half an hour before the gentlemen reappeared, for they had been into the wood at the back of the house to inspect some trees which were to be felled shortly. Basil led the horses to the gate, to be in readiness for them. As the gentleman approached, the elder of the two said to his companion, I sincerely wish you joy of your new farm, Stuart, and I have no doubt but that you will prosper in it. Perseverance and industry are the two great essentials to success, and I believe I am not wrong in attributing to you both those qualities. Thank you for your good opinion, said the other, smiling, and he then added in a more serious tone, I am, after all, you know, but a steward of this great property. May he who alone can order the unruly wills and affections of sinful men enable me to discharge my duties properly. So large an estate entails a great responsibility upon its possessor. Most assuredly it does, replied his companion, but if we conscientiously endeavor to do our duty, it is a proud responsibility inasmuch as it gives us the power of doing an immensity of good to our fellow-creatures. And as regards industry and perseverance, I believe that the benevolent Creator blesses all such exertions when directed to the right end. Thirty-five years ago I was as poor and penniless as that boy there, pointing to Basil as he spoke. And now you are as rich as Croesus, said his friend, smiling. Not quite, nor should I wish to be. I have sufficient to lend a helping hand to my fellow-creatures, and to live comfortably myself. What more can I require? God has prospered me in all my undertakings, and I should indeed be sadly ungrateful for His goodness, were I ever to forget that there was once a time, the memory of which is very strong, 
when I should have been thankful to earn a trifle as this boy's now doing. It's all quite true, my lad, continued he, as he caught Basil's eye fixed on him in incredulous astonishment. It's all quite true. Ask God to give you his Holy Spirit to enable you to act honestly and industriously in whatever station you may be placed. And there is no reason why, with his blessing on your exertions, and he will bless you if you ask him, you should not be an independent man some of these days. Thus saying, he put sixpence into Basil's hand, and the two friends mounted their horses and rode off. Basil stood gazing earnestly after them as they departed. The words he had just heard still rang in his ears. There is no reason why you should not some day be an independent man. Basil scarcely knew the exact meaning of the word independent, but he supposed it meant having plenty to eat and drink, wearing good clothes, and living in a fine house. And as his life had hitherto been passed in the greatest poverty and privation, it is needless to say how impossible such a future appeared to him. Can it ever be? thought he to himself. I'll try at all events. And without rejoining his companions, he turned away toward his father's cottage, which stood at one end of the village green. There, appearances were certainly against poor Basil. Cleanliness and neatness is, generally speaking, the rule amongst the cottage homes of England, and the comfortable English cottages dotted over the fertile plains, or nestling snugly amidst the fruitful orchards of our valleys, form one of the most attractive portions in a rural landscape. But there are exceptions, and Basil's home, unfortunately, was one of them. There was a good-sized piece of garden ground in front of the cottage, but it was full of nothing but weeds. There was no gate. That useful article had come off its hinges long since, and for the want of being mended had lain about until at last it was used for firewood. The windows could boast of scarcely one whole pane of glass, and were stuffed up with paper and rags, which, whilst partially excluding the air, effectually shut out the light of day. We need scarcely add that the internal arrangements of the cottage entirely corresponded with the description now given of the outside. The floor looked as if it had never made the acquaintance of a broom, and the only furniture consisted of a very dirty deal table and two or three rickety chairs. An untidy-looking, sickly woman was feeding a half-starved-looking baby out of a broken teacup, and three or four other children, the very pictures of dirt and uncleanliness, were quarrelling together on the floor of the cottage. Such was Basil's home, a bad foundation, you will say, for a life of industry and independence. And yet it is strange what effect a few words will sometimes produce. Basil had seldom, until that afternoon, heard the accents of hope or encouragement. His father spent the greater part of his time and his money at the alehouse, and his mother in gossiping amongst her neighbors and railing at her husband, whom report said she had, in the first instance, helped to drive from his home by the little attention she paid to his comfort. What with the father's unsteady habits, and the mother's want of thriftiness, you may be sure there were many days when the children had little or nothing to eat. This was very bad even for the younger ones, but the elder children, and Basil particularly, who was nearly thirteen years old, suffered very much in health from such scanty fare and was so stunted in his growth that he did not look to be more than ten or eleven at the utmost. It was utterly impossible there could be the fear of God in such a household. Most truly has the psalmist said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
and where there was such evident disregard of God and his commandments, there could be none of that holy fear, the effect of which is to enable men to depart from evil. Basil's parents seldom went to the house of God, and cared little about their children doing so. The elder ones sometimes attended the Sunday school, which was more than a mile distant, and Basil, who was a quick boy, had learned to read tolerably well, but this was all. "'What did Squire Hamilton give you for holding his horse, Basil?' said his mother, as he entered the cottage. "'Sixpence, mother.' "'Off with you, then, to the shop, and buy a loaf for your suppers, for I have nothing to give you.' Basil was not long in executing his mother's orders, and for once the children had a hearty meal. "'Was that Squire Hamilton, then, whose horse I held, mother?' "'To be sure it was.' Do you mean he who lives in the great house on the hill near the church? Who else should I mean, and what is it to you where he lives? Why, he told me he was once just as poor as I am, mother. Ah, it's all very fine for rich people like him to be talking in that way. He was making fun of you, Basil, and you were foolish enough to believe him. I'm sure he was in earnest, replied Basil, and he told me that if I tried to do my duty and prayed to God to help me, I might be rich myself some day. Nonsense, Basil, said his mother. All I know is that I find it hard to get bare food for you all, let alone growing rich. Basil was silent for a few moments, and then he said, But did you ever pray to God to help you, mother? I've never had time to think about religion, Basil, but don't begin preaching to me. Go and nurse your little sister. The boy did as he was told, and soon got the child to sleep. Long after it was sleeping, Basil still sat on the low chair rocking it to and fro. His thoughts were far away. Mr. Hamilton had told him what to do, and what was it? Not to pray to God to make him rich, but to enable him to act honestly and industriously. This, then, was the way to become independent. It was not surprising that a boy, brought up as Basil had been, should find some difficulty in reconciling this advice with his own experiences of life. Of industry he had certainly not seen many examples, and if he had not actually been taught to be dishonest, it was as much as we could say. So far for his home teaching. But Basil has, as we have already said, attended the Sunday school from time to time, and although a most irregular pupil, so much so as to preclude any great interest being taken in him. Still, some good seed had been sown in his heart, and this was destined by Almighty God to bear fruit after many days. Let no Sabbath school teacher feel discouraged or disheartened at not reaping an immediate result from the good seed sown by them with prayer and faith. It may be dormant for many years, but the germ still remains, and often, when least expected, will spring up and bear fruit under the quickening influences of God's Holy Spirit. Numerous are the cases where the young are led to Christ while on the forms of Sunday schools. Basil felt as if there was some sort of link between Mr. Hamilton's advice and the teaching he had experienced at the Sunday school, and the result of his reflecting on the subject was that he determined to return to school the following Sabbath. This was a step in the right direction. "'Now, Basil, don't sit dreaming there all the evening,' said his mother, who had been putting the other children to bed. "'Go and lay that child down, and then off to bed with you. "'You must get up early in the morning and bring in some firewood. "'We haven't a bit in the house. 
we shall have to get as much as we can before the new folks come to the farm, for there will not be much to be had then, I reckon. The Woodside Farm Estate, which had been so recently purchased by Mr. Stewart, had been untenanted for many years previously. Some serious disputes having arisen as to the legal ownership of the property, the whole estate had been thrown into chancery. As some of our young readers may not quite understand what this means, we will try to make it plain to them. The Court of Chancery is the highest court of justice in the kingdom, next to the Parliament, and is presided over by the Lord Chancellor, who is the highest officer of the Crown. This court had its origin in the desire to render justice complete, and to decide cases for which there was no relief in the common law courts. To such little boys as learn Latin, it may be interesting for them to know the origin or meaning of the word chancery. It is a very old name, dating so far back as the time of the Romans. The chief notary or scribe of the Roman emperors was called, in Latin, Cancellarius, whence our English word Chancellor, because his principal duty was to cross out or cancel any expressions in the edicts of the prince which he thought objectionable, and also because he sat within lattice work or cancelli, which were erected in the Chancery Hall to protect the emperor from the crowding of the people when he sat in judgment. During many years the fine woods and plantations of Woodside Farm had been allowed almost to run wild, and great depredations had been committed by the peasantry of the neighborhood, many of whom heard with regret that the property was at last sold, as they felt they would no longer be able to continue their dishonest practices of breaking down the wood fences and even seriously injuring many valuable trees. Basil's father called him the next morning, almost as soon as it was light, and bade him look alive, and be off to the woods as soon as he could. Hitherto the boy had done as he was desired, without a compunctious feelings, or thought that he was doing wrong. But now everything seemed in a different light, and as he recalled his mother's words the previous evening, that they must get what they could before the new folks came, the idea first dawned upon his mind that he would be acting dishonestly in robbing the woods without permission. He was terribly afraid of his father, who was a man of very violent temper, but he summoned up courage to say, Perhaps Mr. Stewart may not like any one to take wood now that he has bought the farm, father. Like it? Of course he won't, but we're not going to be such fools as to ask him. But is it right, father? Get along about your business, and don't be giving me any of your nonsense, Basil, cried his father, in a passionate tone of voice. Do as I bid you, or I'll make you remember it, I promise you. Basil knew his father too well to dare to remonstrate further at present. So having dressed himself, and eaten the morsel of dry bread, which was his share of the remains of the loaf, he left his home before the bright sun had risen above the tall trees of Woodside Farm. There is a sweet and soothing influence in the breath of the early morning air, and as Basil walked slowly along, his mind became calm, and his path of duty stood out clearly before him. Mr. Hamilton had expressly said he was to be honest. Basil knew that to be honest meant that he ought not to take anything belonging to another without his express permission, and that he was to be truthful in word as well as deed. But had Mr. Hamilton told him the way to become honest? Yes, he had counseled him to pray to God to make him so. Poor Basil had no power in himself to become an honest boy. 
that great change could only be effected by the working of God's Holy Spirit in his sinful heart. But he could pray to God and ask him to give him his grace and enable him to do what was right. And as these thoughts passed through his mind, Basil knelt down in the quiet stubble field through which he was passing, and in his own feeble language besought the giver of all good things to guide his steps aright and to enable him to act honestly. End of chapter 1